Uh, all right, well, let's pray. Uh, I know it's been some time trying to get this all figured out. Um, so let's pray and we'll get into the Word. Um, Father God, Lord, we love You. We thank You for today, Lord. We thank You for uh, loving us, Lord. We thank You for um, the delivery of the Barnes twins this week and um, no surgeries. And uh, Lord, You just uh, doing what we uh, knew You could uh, and that You would. And so God, we do just uh, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy on our lives. And You give us things we don't deserve, um, Lord, and You keep us from the things that we do deserve. And so... Uh, God, we do just uh, love you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to slowly begin to uh, reopen the church, to uh, meet again. And Lord, we do pray that uh, these things will go uh, well, that uh, that uh, people stay healthy. Lord, we pray uh, for the leaders as they try to decide what's best for uh, the church and their classes and all of those things, God. Um, Lord, we do pray that... Uh, Lord, we just allow people to do what they want to do. It's it's totally fine for people to um, just sit it out for a while, Lord. And uh, I do pray that you would just ease their conscience on that. I don't want people to think that, and we don't want people to think that they have to come, Lord. The the virtual options is always an option. So, oh my God, we do um, do just uh, thank you for uh, just allowing us to be able to come back together, though. So, God, we do pray that you just uh, lead and guide our steps this upcoming week as as that begins to happen, Lord. We I uh, pray you just uh, bless your word today as we get into uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, Lord, that you would just get the honor and the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Romans chapter 6. So if you got your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 6 and... Uh, we're going to try to get into this thing. So obviously we're not going to get quite as far into this thing as I was thinking we might, but that's okay. Um, uh, so in Romans 6, uh, we make a turn, right? We've been driving down this road of Romans, and that's that just kind of came out, right? It didn't even, I didn't really mean to say that. But we've been driving down this road, and uh, it's been pretty straight and clear so far. Paul has been uh, allowing us all to uh, find ourselves in... Um, in the same boat per se, we're all in sin, we're all uh, in need of a Savior, we're all uh, really bound for one place if we're not saved, right? And so he took the first few chapters to get that all laid out. The Jews are no better than the Greeks, and the Greeks are no better than the, you know, the, it didn't matter. You were all in the same boat. Okay, so he did that. And then we got to chapter 4, uh, and he started talking about this justification, right? And we, we get this justification uh, from not working real hard, like most of us like to do, uh, but by faith, by faith only, through faith only. That's that's just how it worked, right? Um, and so it was only uh, faith that allowed that to happen. So we went through and basically said, you are justified, and it's only by faith. There's no work that you can do to do it. And so he's been just cruising down this road, allowing us to basically glean from what he's he's been doing, right? He spent the first three chapters saying, I've got something to say. And then in chapter 4, he started to say it, right? And then we got to chapter 5, which we just wrapped up last week. And he's like, hey, we've been talking about this justification, right? And so if you didn't know, let me just stop for a second. The justification I keep talking about is basically what you got at salvation, right? You were all of a sudden justified. Just in the, in the moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye, you are now justified. Okay, so he starts talking about in the first part of chapter 5, you got some benefits that came with that, right? And so we went through all those. I don't have time to go through them. You can go catch the video, the audio. Uh, there, there's so many different ways to catch this thing now. I don't even know, right? It, you, can, you can catch this thing and you can catch the coronavirus. So um, it, it's crazy. It's really weird because usually Paige is here and she laughs at my jokes. And today I've got Brenton and he just looks at me like, really, Dad? That was dumb. So, you know, I guess that's the difference. But anyway, uh, 
so you, you have these benefits that came with it. Okay, so we, we went through that. And then at the end of the chapter, he's like, okay, so Paul is thinking, I don't think you're picking up what I'm throwing. I don't think you're feeling me like I need you to feel me. And so let me give you an example, right? Let me give you an example. Let's talk about Adam, right? Um, let's talk about both Adams, actually. Let's talk about the first Adam, you know, the guy that God created in the garden, and then the, the, the second Adam, which was Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill what the first Adam couldn't, right? And, and so we went through that whole different thing. And so basically, we ended chapter 5 uh, in the boat of you're either in one or two families. We, we jumped back to, to lesson one of uh, discipleship, right? We, we jumped back to the point of you're in one or two families. Which family is it? Are you in Adam's family? Lost in sin, bound for hell, or are you in Christ's family, redeemed from sin, right, and headed for heaven? And so that's where we basically ended, right? So we've been cruising down this road, and so we get to chapter 6. And Paul's like, so I already know what you're thinking, right? Uh, in chapter 6, we make a turn. We turn from justification, and we start talking about sanctification. And so you might be like, uh, what does that mean? Well, most of you know what sanctification is, so we'll get to that. But we start talking about sanctification. You know... Uh, how you got like you are in Christ, but what exactly does that look like, right? You know what you got. Paul's already spent the first five chapters talking about what you got. You got saved, you're justified, you're redeemed, you're all these things, and it's like awesome. What does that look like, though? That's what chapter 6 is going to start telling us, right? We talked a lot about how the, the transformation happened, right? Christ came in, He redeemed you, the, you know, he, he took the, the blood of the innocent lamb, put it on your heart. We talked about all those things. But now that you know that it's happened, what, what's your part, right? What, what do I need to do? Well, that's called sanctification, right? Christ saved you at salvation, but you're now called to live the rest of your life sanctified. And whether you like it or not, that doesn't happen overnight. And so you, these are things you guys know, but I'm trying to get you geared up for what chapter 6 is going to bring, right? You know what's happened. Now chapter 6 starts talking about what is that going to look like in your life, Right? We've talked about what happens. You know, you got saved, you're new, you're, you're all these things. Now what do you need to look like? What should you look like if that, if that happened? You might be wondering though, so I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Most of you know this, but it's okay to review. What exactly is sanctification? We talk about it a lot. We talk about, yeah, you need to be saved and sanctified. We talk about all those things. What exactly is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer to progressively separate him into the mission of Christ, right? It's basically the work of the God that lives inside of you a little bit at a time, allowing you to become more and more involved in the mission of Christ. More and more set apart. Sanctified means set apart, right? You're more and more, day by day, set apart more for the use of Christ. The day you got saved, you may have given Christ, you know, 10 minutes of your life. But hopefully by now, you're giving him, you know, 11 or 12. You're giving him a little bit more, right? You've at least decided that, okay, I need to set apart more for him. And I'm not just talking about time in the Word, although I am talking about time in the Word, but I'm talking about your life, right? The, the, the conversation of your life. And I'm not talking about the words that come out of your mouth. Um, he becomes more and more consecrated, meaning the believer. More and more mature. He, he's relying uh, on the Holy Spirit to drive out more and more of the old man from the inside of him. That process is unrolled in chapters 6, 7, and 8, right? We really start rolling out what sanctification looks like. So if you're like, man, I'm really getting burnout, and I'm, I know how you are, so I'll just say it for you, on the, okay, I understand that we're saved, right? And that we were all lost, and now we all need to be saved. So, okay, we're going to start talking 
about what happens next, right? That's what chapter 6 is. 6, 7, and 8 are going to be. You were given God's nature so you could do Christ's tasks. Now, understand that I, I didn't use the same word there. You were given God's nature so you could do Christ's tasks. This becomes very important because Romans 6 is the core or the center or the key to unlocking the door to victorious Christian living. Without Romans 6, you're not going to have that. Romans 6 is the, the entryway, right? The, the door you have to walk through to the, the normal, regular Christian life. Why is it that some Christians seem to grow so well and other Christians seem to struggle forever? Right, Jody was talking about earlier uh, in between me wanting to uh, scream at my computer because it wouldn't work. Uh, something about her garden wasn't growing because she didn't think it had the right sun. Right? Why is it that some Christians seem to grow better without other things? But some people allow more sun in than others. I thought it was a good analogy while I was really mad at other things. Right? Um, with, with the right amount of sun, anything can grow. Right? Why is it that some Christians seem to grow so well and others seem to struggle forever? Because they don't know the promises and apply the truths of this chapter. You know, and so I haven't even got into the text, but I want to kind of give you some background of what Romans 6 is going to do for you. Why is it that some Christians or yeah, can beat certain sin habits and others never gain victory? Others just never can get over that one thing. It comes back to this chapter. It comes back to the basic understanding that sanctification by its very nature is progressive. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, and that's what we want. We're Americans, right? America, we, we want instant gratification, right? We, we, want it, we want it all and we want it right now. Well, that's not how sanctification works. It's progressive. Not a pill that you take for immediately uh, to feel the results. It's like, a, it's like taking vitamins, right? You take vitamins because, well, that's what the doctor says to do. You don't feel any different, but over time you start to see the benefits of it. That's kind of what uh, sanctification is. You take it for years and then all of a sudden you start to see the results in your life. So, what we're looking at today is no small thing, right? It's not the little thing, and we're not going to get too far into it, but Romans 6 is not a little thing. And there's a lot of people in, in our church, in our even class, and I'm not calling anybody out. I think you all are right where you need to be because God has got you right where you need to be, right? Um, but you really need to understand what this is saying. And so that's why I want to make sure that we kind of slow down a little bit. We don't get in a huge hurry to just blast through this thing. We have no time limit here because I want to make sure that we get it. You know, I, I I prayed so much about starting this the study on the Book of Romans, and I was really excited about you know getting into tasks and you know giving you guys things to do and uh, being able to put handles on this thing, and it was going really well. And then it was just kind of like the adversary was like, yeah, I don't really like what's going on. Let me just throw a virus in the middle of this thing. And so we're trying to plug along and keep doing it, but I want to make sure that that the, the study of Romans doesn't just kind of fall to the wayside because uh, we're so worried about how we're going to meet, right? And so it was important that we stopped and talked about how we're going to meet, how those things are going to work. But I do want to make sure that, that the book of Romans, because this is, understanding the book of Romans is understanding your Christian faith, right? Uh, it's basically the Christian faith unfolded in one book. Paul is laying it out there for you. So you need to make sure you have those things understood. The key idea behind sanctification is this. God did not save you to give you a ticket to heaven. That's what some people are like. Man, I need to get saved so I can go to heaven. Well, that's awesome. Praise God. But God saved you to conform you to the mold of Christ. Right? And I'm not talking about the mold. Uh, I'm talking about like the mold, the thing that you would pour the, the hot metal into so when it gets hard, it looks like it. Right? I'm not talking about what grows on your bread when you let it set too long. Right? We're talking about, you know, you want to be 
formed into the mold of Jesus Christ. So hang on just a second, though, because that's only part of sanctification. Right? That's only part of it. Being being guaranteed to get to heaven, that's only part of, of salvation, right? And being conformed to Christ is only part of sanctification. God saved you, right? And make sure you understand that. God saved you. didn't save yourself. You didn't... Well, it's a good thing I got it figured out. No. God saved you to conform you to His Son so that you could accomplish the mission in His place. Now, make sure you understand that. God saved you to conform you, to mold you to look like little Christ so that you could accomplish the mission in His place. He couldn't be here forever. God's still got some things He's trying to get done. So now He's like, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'll allow these people to get saved. I'll make them look like Christ so that they can do what Christ is not there to do right now. You need to understand that the benefit is a ticket to heaven. That's the benefit that comes with it. Yeah, praise God, at the end of the day, that's where we end up. But the purpose of sanctification is you becoming little Christ so you can accomplish the mission of God. That's the purpose. That's why we have church. right? That's why we do it. That's the whole point. Paul sets it up like this. He just argued in, in Romans 5.20 that the law showed that you were a sinner, right? Then grace came in to say, rely on Christ by faith for salvation. But before grace reigns and righteousness in the life of the Christian, there's something that you need to know. He is just as dead as any unsaved sinner, except in a different way, right? So I just said something, and I may have minced words, and so you didn't understand it. You got saved, right? Paul said you're a sinner, and you're just as good as a dead man, right? Okay, but once you're saved, right? You need to be saved. You need to have the blood of Christ, but guess what? You're just as good as a dead man. Well, what do you mean? That's what I was before I got saved. Well, you're the same thing, right? You're just as dead as any unsaved sinner, except in a different way. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. The unsaved man has a live body and a dead spirit, right? The body's alive, but the spirit is dead. You better live it up now because that's the only fun you're ever going to have because I promise you won't be cracking one open in hell with your buddies like some guys like to say. It doesn't work like that, right? If you want to know, and this is this just came into my head, but if you want to know how much partying you'll do in hell... Um, Go touch something that's really hot, right? And tell me how fun it is. I burnt the ever-loving, uh, I don't even want to say, I, I burnt the heck out of my hand yesterday. And it was my own you know, stupidity, right? But I, I fried this thing, man. And it, like it, so much so that I almost said something I shouldn't. But it was bad, right? Uh, it's going to be like a million times worse than that. Tell me how much partying you're going to be doing in hell, right? If you don't believe me, go find something that... I shouldn't tell you this because it hurts. Go find something that's really, really hot and just lay your hand into it. right? Not just touch it, but like lean your whole body weight into it because that's what I did. It was not good. Right? There won't be any partying in hell. Right? The unsaved man, he's got a live body and a dead spirit, but the believer, he's got a live spirit. You're alive inside, but you've got a dead body. You get one or the other. Right? Do you want to be alive on the inside and dead on the outside or... Dead on the outside and alive on... That's what I just said. Dead on the... Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Because you got to pick one. So chapter 6 begins to reveal how our actions may not affect our salvation, right? There's nothing you can do to help God save you. It doesn't work like that. Your actions don't affect salvation, but it does affect your sanctification. What you do affects sanctification every day. You know you can't do anything to lose your salvation, but there's a plethora of things that you can do 
to keep sanctification from happening, right? Well, I can't do anything to lose my salvation. I can just go do whatever I want, right? Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of things you can do to keep sanctification from happening. You know, there's everything. So with that thought in mind, because that's where Paul already knew you were thinking, well, if I, if I can't do anything to lose it, why, why can't I just do what I want? Right? With that thought in mind, the fact that there's still nothing that you can do to lose your salvation, let's get into the text. Because Paul's like, I already knew what you were thinking, right? I already knew what you were thinking. And so in verse 1, what's he say? Because I already told you this last week. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If I can't do anything to lose this awesome gift of salvation, then why don't I just go back to living like I was? I've already got my ticket to heaven. I'm good to go, right? Well, Paul's like, I'm glad that you think that way because uh, God forbid, right? That's Paul's way of saying um, absolutely not. And so here's what I've got for you today, and definitely we're not going to get through all of them, but I've got ten characteristics, right? Ten characteristics of who you now are in Christ. Okay, and so... We've been talking about... I'll give you the title again here in a second. Uh, we've been talking about everything that happened when you got saved. Man, you are saved. You're, saint, you're not sanctified. You're saved. You're justified. Uh, you're redeemed. You're all these things. This happened, right? Praise God. So now what? Right? Now what? We get to chapter 6. Now what? What do I look like now? What should I look like now? Because I'm saved, but I feel like I don't look like that Christian. I don't feel like I'm living up to that Christian. Well, the problem is, stop trying to live up to other Christians. You need to live up to Christ. But what, what should your life look like? Well, here's ten characteristics of who you now are in Christ, or things that you should see in your life now in Christ. Ten characteristics of who you now are in Christ. So, here's your first one in verse 1 and 2. You're now dead to sin. You are now dead to sin. And some of these, you're going to be like, well, I already knew those things. Okay, but you... Just like in previous chapters, you might know these things, but judging by the way you're living, and I'm not calling anybody out, but I'm just saying in general, because Paul already knew what you were thinking, judging by the way you're living, maybe you don't completely understand them, right? So here's the first one. You're now dead to sin. That's the first characteristics of who you now are in Christ. You're dead to sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul says, okay, yeah, you're saved. Praise God. But no, you can't just go live like hell because of it. Right? That's not how this thing works. That's not what... You weren't created to get saved. You were created to get saved and do the work of Christ. That's the whole point. That's the part people like to live out. We saw in the first five chapters that we're justified in Christ... And we get saved. Uh, but now that you're saved, what exactly does that life look like? The, the list of ten things should uh, be present in the life of the sanctified believer. If you want to be sanctified, and just let me tell you now, you'll never be quote-unquote sanctified. You might be more sanctified than you were yesterday, but you're never going to arrive. But these ten things should definitely be present in the life of the believer, right? And these are just like uh, these are like the Romans 12.1 part of the sanctification. These are the least you could do, right? These are the least that you could do. We'll get to Romans 12 someday, I promise. But the first thing you need to realize uh, about your, your the new you is that you're dead to sin. But what exactly does that mean, right? Well, I know I'm dead to sin. Well, let me tell you what that means. Death to sin refers to separation from sin's power. Not eradication of sin's presence, right? You're separated from the power that sin has on your life. It doesn't mean that sin's not present, right? It doesn't mean that sin's not available, right? It doesn't mean that if you turn on the TV, you turn on the radio, you pick up your phone, you hang out with your buddies, whatever it is that you're doing, that sin's not available, right? Death to sin means that you're separated from its power. Sin is still ever-present in the life in our lives, but the slavery to it's now gone. When you're lost, you're a slave to sin. 
Try to tell a lost man that, and they're like, I'm not a slave to nothing, except for the fact that you can't do right, right? You, you are a slave to sin, but now you're not anymore. So does, what, what am I saying? What are you saying, Jason? Does that mean that we cannot sin? Well, you already know the answer to that, so don't ask questions that you already know the answer to. Yes, you can sin, right? You're not going to be judged for that sin, right? That was judged for on the cross, but does that mean we can't sin? You already know the answer. A Christian can always commit sin, but a Christian can't live in the same state of sin that he had before he was saved, right? You can commit sin. I can go and do something stupid, right? I can go do something I know I ought not do, that the Word of God says don't do that, right? I'm not talking about a conviction or a personal preference. I'm talking about something that is outright wrong in the Bible. I, I can go and do that, and that is sin. But I can't live in a state of sin, right? I can't. And how do I know that's true? How do you know that you can't... Well, what do you, how do you know that's true? How do we know that we can't live in the same state of sin that we did before we got saved? Well, just really quick, fast forward to verse 7 and I'll tell you how. We're not even going to get this far today, but fast forward there. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Right? That's how I know. He that is dead is freed from sin. And it says that we are now dead to sin. Right? Every person that ever got saved died in Christ according to verse 7. Therefore, we are planted in that likeness. You can't, you can't pull that thing up. It's like a weed that's got roots that are deeper than you're ever going to pull. Right? It is, it is so deep. We are planted in that likeness. Are you alive in Christ? Ask yourself that. Am I alive in Christ? Well, okay, well, if you, if you have to say well, then there's a problem. Okay? Are you alive in Christ? Yes, you are alive in Christ. If you are born again, you're alive in Christ. If so, then you're dead to sin. You can't have both. You can't be alive in Christ and alive in sin. It doesn't work that way. Why is that? Because it's not possible. It's just you can't do it. You may still commit sin, but you're alive to God. If you're alive to God, then you're dead to sin. You may sin, but you can't live in it, right? You might choose to sin, but you can't live in that state anymore. That's just not a possibility. Therefore, in verse 11, Paul says, reckon yourselves. You need to believe it now because that's how it is, right? You need to go ahead and understand that because some people are like, no, I don't think you understand, Jason, because I can live in sin. Well, I don't think you understand because if you can live in sin, then you aren't saved, right? That's what the Word of God is telling you, right? You didn't apply the blood of Christ to your heart. You may have applied the knowledge that you knew and said, yeah, I'll take that, but it takes the blood of Christ, right? It takes salvation, right? And that's what it is. So you can sin, but you can't live in it. You can't do it. Paul says you need to reckon yourselves. You need to believe it because that's how it is. Just like you got saved by faith, you must uh, to, you must continue to live by faith, right? We're in the flesh geographically, but not spiritually, right? I'm very much so in the flesh. I touched the hot thing yesterday and it hurt. My flesh said, yes, it's still here, right? I'm in it geographically, but not spiritually. You can have the ability to sin, but you cannot, quote-unquote, live in sin any longer because dead people aren't alive. Did you know that? Right? I know that's like a shocker. Dead people aren't alive, so they can't live in sin any longer because if you're dead, right? If you're dead to sin then, and, and you're alive to Christ, you can't be both, right? Or you can be both. You can't be one or the other, right? You can't be alive to sin and alive to Christ. It doesn't work like that. So the first characteristic that you're now going to have in Christ, he says, how can we live, uh, uh, how can we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And we can't. Paul's like, I'm asking you a question because you ask me a dumb question, I'll ask you a dumb one. How can we that are dead to sin live in it? It's not possible, right? What's the one thing that will free you from, from the sin of the world? 
This is just this is in my notes. This is just a question. Somebody answer this question. What's the one thing that can free you from the grip that sin has of this world? Anybody? Nobody. It's to die physically. Right? When you die physically. When somebody puts a gun to your head and pulls the trigger, right? Uh, when when you, uh, at however many years old, die in the hospital bed. When you uh, die in the car crash, whatever. That's how you finally cannot have to deal with sin anymore, right? Because sin is finally taken over in your life. It is finally uh, ruled and reigned in your life. That is what it has done. That's how that works, right? That's the one thing that will free you from sin in this life is just to go ahead and die. That's the only thing that will do it. Okay, so that's the first thing. You're, you're dead to sin. Here's the second characteristic that you're going to get uh, when you, uh, of your now... Uh, the second characteristic of who you now are in Christ. In verse 3, you're now baptized unto Jesus' death, right? Well, you, I already know that, Jason. Well, okay, that's good that you know that. Again, but let's keep going, right? You're now baptized unto His death. All right, let's read this. Verse 3. Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized unto His death? So Paul asked another question. He's like, okay, you ask me a question. So here I've got several questions to ask you because I want to make sure you understand what you really have. Okay, that's what he says. So here's the second thing that that you are uh, the thing that you are now that you were not before is you're baptized unto Jesus' death. Even if you haven't been baptized physically, right? And so most of this we're going to be talking about people who have been baptized, but just know this. I want to throw this in there. Even if you haven't been baptized physically, even you haven't been dunked in the water yet, uh, you're still baptized spiritually at the moment of salvation, right? Spiritually, it's already happened. We already know that the picture of baptism is uh, its only a picture, okay? So we'll talk about that here in a minute. But just just know that. I am talking about in this point when you got in the baptism tank. But if you have, if I'm talking to somebody who, who hasn't done that yet, it, the moment you get saved, you're spiritually baptized, right? The physical baptism is what we're going to talk about though, okay? So, Christ was baptized in death. What does that mean? And, and the believer is baptized unto His death, right? Christ did not only die, He also resurrected, right? He didn't just die, He also resurrected. That's why Paul goes on to say, if you want to understand what happened to you, and all the changes that were made at salvation, go back to the cross. If you want to really understand what happened to you and all those changes, go back to the cross. Well, what do I mean? What happened at the cross? Right? What happened at the cross? Well, Jesus died, Jason, dummy, come on. Yeah, Jesus died. We, all, we, we really know that He died because He was buried, right? You don't bury somebody that's alive. It doesn't work like that. He was buried. Burial was the proof of His death. Resurrection was the proof of a new life. A life with a new type of nature. One that is not subject to the corruption of the grave. Right? He has a new nature once He's resurrected. He's not the same that He used to be. He's not subject to the corruption of the grave. Once you're resurrected, you're not subject to the power of death anymore. Does that make sense? You can't die twice. It doesn't happen like that. You can die spirit, or you can die physically, um, but, and then you will die spiritually as well. Uh, at the uh, uh, the great white throne, right? We know that. But you can't die twice physically. It doesn't work like that. So what's the we're saying? Christ has died once. So He's not dead to... Or he, he can't be uh, killed again. It doesn't work like that. We have the same benefit, right? We've got a new life, one that is not subject to the corruption of the grave. Paul is continuing to make the point that we can no longer live in sin. He's continuing on from the first point. He says, you can't live in sin... Uh, that grace can abound, and he's saying your baptism should prove that. Well, how's your baptism going to prove that? How's your baptism prove uh, that you can't live in sin anymore? 
Well, let me tell you, if I can figure out how to get these pages turned. When you got baptized, it was a picture, right? If it was anything more of a picture to you, if you felt like it like washed your sin away, if you feel like it did something for you, um, I don't know if you ate something plain the night before and it was a rumble in your stomach or what. I don't know because guess what? It's a picture, right? You get in the baptism tank and you basically say, uh, yes, I am, I, uh, I am a part of this body of believers. So the word that I want to say is not coming to my mind, but I don't know. Anyway, I, I am uh, associating with you. I am like you, right? I am saying that, yes, what happened to me? I died in Christ, so they buried me, right? Uh, my old man is dead. They buried me, but guess what? I'm not dead anymore, just like Christ isn't dead anymore. I am ra- I'm, I'm rose again, right? I've got a new spirit alive in me now, right? That's what happens. It's all a picture. The water isn't anything special, right? Sometimes it's warm, sometimes it's cold. It just depends. But the water's not anything special, I promise. So if our old man is as good as dead to Christ, then how can we use that old carcass to continue to walk in sin? Right? If your old man is as good as dead to Christ, then how can we use that old carcass to continue walking in sin? You can't. So that's why Paul uses your baptism as proof that you're now a new man. And if you're a new man, stop acting like the old man and start living sanctified. You can't live like that anymore. It's not possible. You're not able to do that anymore, right? You can't live in sin. You can sin, but you can't live in it. So stop trying to. It's like the kid... Here's an analogy. Some of you might track with this. Some of you got young kids. It's like a kid who's potty training. They know they have the ability to do the right thing, which would be, you know... Let's, let's, use, let's use the toilet, right? They, they have the ability to do the right thing. But sometimes... They're just like, you know what? Just put a diaper back on me. It's easier, right? It's easier. I don't have to stop what I'm doing. I can keep doing it. Just put a diaper on me then, right? You know, have you ever heard a kid say that? It's like a kid who's body training. They know they can do the right thing, but sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't want to. We as Christians, we do the same thing. What? Yeah. Y'all run around with your little diapers on, right? We do the same thing. We tell ourselves that we can put the old man on. We can put the old man back on just for a minute, right? Just for a while because it's easier. But Paul says, not so, my friend. Remember your baptism? It pictured you burying that old carcass, so stop trying to dig it up and wear it. You can't do that, right? Stop trying to put the old diaper on. It doesn't work like that. You have the ability. You know you have the ability. So stop trying to go back to what's easy, right? Because you're never going to grow if you don't. If you need proof that you're sanctified even a little bit in your life, look back at your baptism, and see that at least one point in your life you wanted to be sanctified, you wanted to do the right thing. You might not want to anymore, but at least one point in your life you did because you submitted to the picture of baptism, right? At one point you did want to do the right thing. So if you're like, man, I just don't feel it. Well, good, because you're not supposed to feel it. You're supposed to live it, right? And so start living it, right? Go back to when you were living it and say, okay, I need to get back on that track, right? So that's your second point, right? That's your second point. So here's the third one. Let's get to verse 4. Here's your third point. You now walk in newness of life, right? You now are going to walk in newness of life. Verse 4. Therefore, we're, uh, we are buried with Him uh, by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised into the dead by the glory of the Father, even so uh, we also should walk in newness of life. So if we're baptized and dead with Him, then guess what? We also ought to live like Him. So the third thing, the third thing that you now have as, as, as you walk in Christ, right, is you now, ha- you now have newness of life. As Paul continues on with this baptism picture, uh, he gives us the next characteristic of who we now are in Christ. When you get saved, because God's not bound by time, I hope you understand that. God is not bound by time. He took the past and He brought it to the present. 
And He identified you with Christ on the cross. When, Christ, when, when God looked at Christ on the cross, He didn't look at the sinless Christ. He looked at your sin because that's what was being punished on the cross. It was your sin. right? It wasn't the perfect Christ. He was taking your sin. So He fast-forwarded or, or He rewinded whatever you need to be to make it work in your head with time, uh, your sin to put it on the cross. That's what He was seeing when this was going on. That's what your baptism represented. It was you dying and being buried with Christ. That's what baptism's picturing. When God looked at the death of His Son, He also looked at the death of you. He can make that, transi- uh, that transaction because He's God and, he does, and time doesn't matter to Him. So the old you that used to be you before you became a Christian, you're now dead on the cross. Sin is not dead, but you're dead to sin. Right? You need to understand that. Sin is still ever-present, but you're dead to it. Right? If you're going to live in Christ, then you are dead to it. So the question becomes, how dead are you? The old you is dead enough to, to bury. And that's what the baptism pictured. So start living like it. Or better yet, stop living like it. Because that old boy is dead. Right? That old boy's dead. If you're going to say that I'm dead in Christ, then, then, then act like it. Okay? Act like it. If the old man is dead, then what is left still walking around, right? If my old man is dead, like, I, okay, I think I'm tracking with you, Jason. If the old man is dead, then how do I walk around, right? How does that even work? That's the new you in the old body. It's the new you. It, it, let me explain it this way. It's like the new you who started a diet two weeks ago, right? I'm done with all the junk food. I'm done with all the fast food. I'm done with all the whatever, the sugar, and I'm gonna. I'm only gonna do it. it, it so this is this is what it's like. It's like the new you started a diet two weeks ago. You're different in action, but the body still looks the same. And some of you can relate to me when I say that, right? The mindset is completely different. I'm not doing that anymore. But man, my body's not changing. Something's not working, right? That's what it's like. There's a new you inside of the old, same old body. That's just the way it is. You're a new man, so start walking in newness of life. You may still have old skin on, but that's okay because there's a new guy in charge and he directs that old skin. We'll get heavily into this subject, the battle between the spirit and the flesh in chapter 7. But for now, just just simply know this. If you're in Christ, then you should be walking in newness of life. If you are going to say that I was dead and buried with Christ in my baptism, then you better relate to Him as He was resurrected as well. And start walking different. Start living different. Okay? I got. Let's, let's see if we can get one more. Let's get at least number four, because I was going to try to get five of them, but we'll at least get four of them. Number four. Here's the fourth thing the new you is going to look like. You now look like the resurrected Christ. Now, you see how these are just kind of building on each other. Well, that's what they do. Uh, you now look like the resurrected Christ. So, number three, you now walk in the newness of life. Why? Because number four says you now look like the resurrected Christ. In verse five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Right? So he, he continues on and he kind of finishes up this baptism picture. This is a good spot for us to, to, to wrap it up on at this point. Uh, he finishes up this baptism picture. If we follow Him in burial, then we must also follow Him in resurrection. So you now look like the resurrected Christ. Now make sure you understand that. It says that you look like the resurrected Christ. Now think about that. We're not after looking like what Christ did when He was on earth. So, so many quote-unquote Christians are like, I want to be like Christ was. Well, that's, that's a good thing to shoot for. I want to be like Christ is. I don't want to be like Christ was here. 
which was perfect. I mean, that's as good as it's ever going to get. But guess what? It gets better. I want to be like the resurrected Christ. You know, even if I could live sinless, that'd be awesome. But it's not anywhere close to touching how awesome it's going to be to be like the resurrected Christ, to live for eternity. Because the Christ on earth was still bound by death. He was still going to die. He was still all human. right? The resurrected Christ is what you need to be like. Make sure you understand that. Think about that. You're not after looking like what Christ did when He was on earth, as perfect as He was. We're after how, what He looks like now in His resurrected state. The purpose of Christ's resurrection was to live for God in a glorified state. Right? The purpose of God raising you with Christ is that you could live for God according to your new identity. Right? He resurrected Christ so He could live with God in a glorified state. That's where He's at. He's on the right hand of the Father right now, just waiting to come back. The purpose of God raising you, though, in Christ is so that you can live for God in accordance with your new identity. You can do what Christ isn't here to do right now. Right? You can be the hands and feet. God's purposes are never held back. Make sure you understand that. That's why in the book of Revelation, He gets us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What do you mean? It's just like a big circle, right? What, what Adam screwed up in the beginning, God fixed in the end. Right? It takes us right back to it. What are you trying to say though, Jason? I don't think I'm tracking with you. Well, good. I'm glad you asked. That means that the purpose of the resurrection was simply to accomplish the original mission. The purpose of God in the end resurrecting you in the, in the form or the picture of resurrecting Christ was so that you could do what He was trying to do back at the beginning in the first place. Right? If Adam wouldn't have sinned, we never would have been here. It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. But because He did, fast forward thousands of years, right? Here we are for what? To do what Adam didn't do. Right? That's what we're here to do. Right? And that doesn't mean be a good gardener, right? As much as some of y'all want to be. Uh, that's, that's fine, but uh, you're, you're here to do what, what Christ basically came to do, right? To establish the kingdom. Now, you're not here to establish the kingdom. That's reserved for the nation of Israel. But you're here in, in picture, right? We're here in picture. The purpose of the resurrection was simply to accomplish the original mission. Everything Christ could not accomplish before His death, He left for His Holy Spirit to do through us in His physical absence. Now think about that. Everything that Christ... He had a to-do list, right? All these things He was going to get done. And God cut it short because He was like, okay, now it's time to go to the cross. And He even asked in the garden, man, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? Well, no, there's not. Okay, then I'll take it. Right? So what did He do? He resurrected us to continue doing what He didn't get done yet. Because guess what? There's still people that need to be saved. So we're identified with His resurrection because He left us to finish the task. That's why there's two natures in the believer. There's uh, inside your body a brand new man. And, then this mo- the, the, and this new man is subject to the same limitations as the old sin nature. I'm sorry, he's not subject to the same limitations as the old sin nature. Our old man was not repaired, he was replaced. And make sure you understand that. You didn't just clean up a little bit. You replaced it. Right? Uh, you didn't just uh, tune up the engine. You got a new one. Right? You're, it's different now. That's why walking in the Spirit is a replacement process. You replace the sins of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. That's why those lists are right there together. You take one out and you put something else in. It's a replacement process. The question now becomes this, because I already know what you're thinking. If I look like the resurrected Christ, and if inside of me there's a brand new man then why do I still want to do the same things? right? If you're telling me that Christ lives inside of me, 
right? And that I'm dead to the sin. I'm, I'm all these things. Like, I'm tracking with you, Jason. Except for, why do I still want to do the same thing? Why do I still want to sin? The answer is because the brand new man is located in the same old body right now, right? Your body didn't change. The man inside did. While the man is new, the flesh is still the same. And that's our limitation as long as we live. The only way to counteract that is is by progressively replacing the sin of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. That's what sanctification is. That's what we're going to talk about for the next three chapters. So let me give you some examples, because I still don't think you're quite getting me, and I need to finish up. The old man... And the flesh, they didn't have conflict. The old man inside that, that ruled and reigned before you got saved, and the flesh, you know, they were like, they were buds, right? They liked to hang out. The old man said, jump. The flesh said, how high? The old man said, lie. The flesh said, how much? The old man said, drink. The flesh said, how many? Right? Some of you are tracking with me now. The old man said, lust. The flesh said, after who? The flesh agreed with the old man in practically every single instance. And they were jiving, right? And most of them are jiving their lives straight to hell. Now there's a new man inside, right? You get saved and we replace it with a new man. And the new man says, let's pray. And the flesh says, I'm tired, right? It's too early, right? I want to sleep. Let's get in the ministry. The new man says, let's get in the ministry. And the flesh says, there's the fish are biting, right? Now all of a sudden there is no cohesiveness at all going on. The flesh rejects spiritual discipline because the flesh is not used to taking those kinds of instructions. So why does it seem so easy for some and not so easy for others? Because I know that's what you're thinking. But why does it seem like some Christians just really get it and it's, it's easy for them? Well, let me tell you why. Because over time, they've done the right thing even though they didn't want to. And they've done the right thing even though they didn't want to. And after you do something that's not natural over and over and over again, it begins to not be quite as unnatural. Does it mean that it's easy? No. Is, is it ever easy to just jump out of bed in the morning? No. Right? It's harder the older you get. But guess what? The more you do it, the more you train the flesh, right? the easier it gets. So what you're telling me by saying, why does it seem so easy for some people and not others, is you're telling me that you're really not doing it very often. Because if you were doing it very often, it would become easy, right? What do they say? It takes like 28 days to create a habit or something like that. I don't know who somebody came up with that. But anyway, what you're telling me is that you're only trying to get up and read your Bible once a week, right? Because if you're doing it every day after a month or so, it, it would just be a little easier, right? What you're telling me by saying that it's, I just, it's so hard to, to just train my children, right, when they need it. or It's so hard to... What you're telling me is... You're just not very consistent at it. Because the more consistent you are, the easier it gets. Does it ever get easy? No, I said the easier, right? The easier it gets. Stop looking at other people and saying, well, I'm never going to be like them. Don't be like them. Be like Christ, right? Be like what Christ has called you to do. And He's calling you to be sanctified, right? The flesh rejects spiritual discipline because the flesh is not used to taking those instructions. But the more that it takes those instructions, the more that it's at least going to be able to understand that this is the way it's going to be whether I like it or not. Right? It's like training your kids. They don't ever just like to do the right thing. But they decide after a while that I'll just do the right thing because I don't like spankings. Right? I don't like the discipline that comes with it. It's the same thing. You are training your flesh. I don't like what happens, so I'm just going to do it. Same thing. It's consistency. So what do you do then? 
you go back to the point and you live like the resurrected Christ because that's what you were created to do. You battle the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit, right? You battle it. That's what it is. And so that's where I'm going to stop because I'm over time. But that's a good spot to uh, to camp out. We'll hopefully get the other six next week. But um, that's where we're at. Does anybody have any questions uh, before we rock and roll out of here? Everybody sleeping? Okay. And then let's pray because I'm getting no response. And... Uh, We'll go from there. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for uh, just loving us, Lord. I thank you for uh, just what Romans chapter 6 does. Uh, Lord, it really starts to put uh, in action, in practice, the things that um, we've been uh, told that we have. Uh, Lord, you, you, you through Paul told us uh, that we have this salvation and we have all these great things, and so now it's time to start figuring out what it looks like in our own personal lives. So I pray that as we continue on and and through Romans 6, 7, and 8, where we can really look look at what You're calling us to be um, and what it should look like, Lord. And then, uh, Lord, that You would just continue to use this uh, this study of Romans to, to help us out, uh, to, to guide us, Lord, and to, to really reveal to us where we're at. So, uh, God, I do pray that You would use these uh, things to uh, maybe uh, pierce our hearts, to uh, bring us back in line where we need to be. And, uh, God, that we would just uh, be focused on You, not other people. And, God, I do uh, thank You for Your Word and just allowing it to do this in our life, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that You would... Uh, Send us out this week as lights in a dark world, Lord, that uh, those of us who can or feel up to it would be able to meet next week, Lord, and uh, those of us who not will just continue to to worship together uh, online, God, and that you would get the honor and the glory no matter how we do it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I didn't give you guys any tasks last week before we roll out of here. Um, and I don't have too much for this week, but I do want you to, since we're in Romans 6, uh, obviously I want you to read Romans 6 five times this week. right? And if you feel up to it, go ahead and read the book of Romans once. Um, I know you're like, I've already read it a hundred times. Well, no, you haven't. You haven't read it near that many times. But um, continue to read it. But really study Romans 6 because, and try to see, and I'm not going to give you, you can, you can look for key words, uh, key thoughts, right? Things like that. Um, but try to really see what I'm saying, right? For yourself. Do some meditating on it. Try to see the transition, uh, between what you had and now what you had, what it looks like. Try to see those things for yourself instead of me just pointing them out to you, um, and, and do that. And then one other thing, because I just realized I don't think I ever told you to do it. If you haven't yet, um, write out Romans 5 by hand. I think we should have the whole 1, 2, 3, and 4 done. I don't think I ever told you to write out Romans 5. So do that, um, and that will get you caught up, and then we'll circle back around and chat about that next week before we get started. Hopefully, maybe a little bit in person. So, uh, all right. Thanks.